0: This is a podcast by Householders' Options to Protect the Environment, Hope Australia. We are a community environmental education and capacity-building organisation based in Toowoomba, South East Queensland, Australia. This is a podcast in the series Eco-Social Work in Australia. It was produced for Hope Australia in Toowoomba, Queensland, on and adjacent to the traditional lands of the Jarawa, Diabo... Yugara and Waka Waka peoples. Hope pays respect to the past, present, and emerging leaders of all First Nations people in this country and acknowledges the unique contribution that their cultures make to contemporary Australia. Hello, my name is Andrew Nicholson, and I'm the producer of the Eco Social Work in Australia podcast series. In Australia, the catastrophic 2019 to 2020 bushfire season and the extremely destructive East Coast flooding events of early 2022 are the latest examples of so-called natural disaster weather events, which we know have now been made more frequent and intense in terms of their impact due to background global heating and associated climate change. The social work response to such disasters, with their myriad physical environmental impacts, is already exercising the talents of social workers in this country and forms a key interest of my next guest in the podcast series. That guest is Professor Margaret Olston, AMOAM. Who has developed a long-standing research and teaching interest around the social work role as it may respond to natural disasters and particularly regarding the differential gendered experience of such disaster impacts amongst women men and children she has taught and conducted research within a number of premier Australian universities over the years on topics such as the links between rural life and gender and has grounded that work in action research based upon first-hand observation of some of the most vulnerable communities in the world. Professor Alston has applied her research insights to the benefit of a wide spectrum of institutions and individuals, from acting as a gender expert consultant to international agencies such as the United Nations Food and Agricultural Organization and the Commission for the Status of Women to providing doctoral research supervision to a new generation of social workers helping equip them with the tools to focus on gender inequities within social research. In this episode we talk about Professor Alston's abiding interest in the gendered experience of environmental impacts, how such physical environment influences are directly relevant to mainstream social work practice, and how her research and social work training insights apply with particular relevance to our own Asia Pacific region of the world so welcome professor alston it's an absolute pleasure to talk with you today
1: thank you it's very um it's wonderful to be here and to be talking to you and to be recording on this topic
0: well let's start the conversation by asking you to introduce yourself more fully can you give us some of the milestones of your very extensive career and also some insights into why when and how you first developed your keen interest in the differential gendered experience of disaster impacts relevant to the social work context?
1: Uh, that's a big question, and I could give you a really big answer, but I'll try and I'll try and pull it in. But essentially, um, my interest comes from the fact that I was brought up on a family farm. And um, uh, when my father died young, my mum... Ran the farm, so I guess I always had this interest in gender and agriculture because I could see what was going on around me. Um, I then sort of married into a farm, and we had a a large farm. At the same time, I worked at Charles Sturt University. Now, all of these things sort of tended to come together because um, the drought. When the drought hit in 1996. And it continued right through until about 2010. It was obvious to me that what was going on around me in my own community was um, very much a tragedy and a disaster. Uh, but the focus of the discourse around the drought at the time was very much about the economy and about the environment. So economic and environmental disaster but very limited, in fact, no attention to the social dimensions of what I was seeing around me um, in my neighbors, in my community, and certainly in the the more general region and um, across the country, really. So my research developed um, around this original analysis of mine that we didn't have uh, a focus on the social and we really, really needed it. Um so yeah, so this sort of built on the fact that I had a background where you know I'd seen women very much heavily engaged in agriculture. That wasn't coming through, the drought hit, there were social implications. Um, and at the same time, I'd recently completed my PhD on the invisibility of farm women based on my earlier experiences. So when I was looking at the social impacts of um, the drought, which to me at that time was a drought, but I hadn't put it into the lexicon of climate change or disaster at the time. But um, my PhD was on the invisibility of farm women. And so gender became a very much um, a top-of-the-mind concept when I was looking at the drought impacts. Um, And just to sort of take that a little bit further... I was working at Charles Sturt University and um, I was doing a lot of my research through the Centre for Rural Social Research. Jeff Lawrence was in charge at the time and he was one of Australia's leading sociologists. Um, over time, I became the director of the centre and um, I was very switched on then around rural and agricultural issues. And then I guess the final step in that journey was when I was coaxed to Monash and um, spent time there as Professor of Social Work over the next um, 10 years. Uh, Then my interest in this area, it didn't go away. It became much more global, and it fitted into the discourse that was developing around climate change and um, disasters across the world. So I was able to see from my embryonic experience with the drought, how that then emerged into my um, more global interest in uh, climate change disasters. And of course, gender was top of the mind still in all of that. So a lot of my research then took me um, to a number of countries, to India, to the Pacific, to Bangladesh to Laos, PDR, um, so I was seeing um, the evidence of environmental disasters across a range of circumstances, a range of countries. Um, and in all of that, I, I could see that making gender visible was really critical to what, um, how we should interpret what, what climate change was doing.
0: Thank you very much for that, that, you know, really interesting. I mean, I'm just taking a couple of points out of that, uh, you know, noting that direct uh, lived experience of of coming up through the rural um, environment, in effect, the rural sector, I mean, as with some other speakers in this series. Uh, some of their early interest in, in the sort of issues that they went on to um, deal with at a professional level, you know, coming from that sort of early background. Ironically enough, interestingly enough, I don't know how significant you see this, but just to make the point, um, you were looking at there, in terms of your early research and social work interests, a lack of focus on the social, which is in some ways quite ironic uh, when you bring this sort of back to an eco-social work sort of uh, narrative in a sense that where... The view is that the social person in environment sort of metaphor has has had too much focus um, in, in some you know some viewpoints.
1: Uh, well, actually, that's an interesting point, point. and it, the the reason I got really engaged um, and extended my research around you know social work's response was because well we were very much wedded to the concept of person in the environment it was very much a social environment at the time. And my increasing interest in, in social work elements of this research was to incorporate um, the environment as part of our person in environment. You know, the physical environment needed to be part of our discourse in social work. So that, uh, that's, yeah, that's where I came from with that.
0: And I think um, just just sort of building on that somewhat, you know, again, that very much that rural sector seems to have been one of the, if not the breeding grounds for interest around that, that the environmental connection, I suppose, because of that obvious connection where people on the land who see they have the, the direct lived experience of environmental factors all the time, perhaps more so than people in an urban setting. But the rural sector, social work connected to rural issues, social work connected to indigenous issues. Seems to have been some of the areas where eco-social work practice has, has you know gained an, an early sort of foothold. In a sense, I'm um, just thinking of other speakers in this series, like um, Dr. Heather Downey, talking about water security, again having you know having direct contact to that sort of rural sector set of interests.
1: Yeah. Well, the other critical uh, point that I should make is that um, I did uh, a lot of work through the Food and Agriculture Organization, the UNFAO. Um, when I say a lot of work, I was invited over there as a gender expert in early two thousands. To, and, you know, this being the UN Food and Agriculture Organization, they were very keen on understanding the gender elements in that context, and so that was another trigger for me to become much more internationally engaged. And um, I subsequently went on and worked for. UN Habitat, uh, looking at gender and climate change. And we did some training with the United Nations Environment Program in Geneva. And um, and during that period, in around 2008, I think, I was um, chosen as the Australian representative uh, at the Commission for the Status of Women meeting that year because the focus was on gender and rural issues. So. Um, a lot of things came together and you know it was that internationalizing of the agenda that was really critical um and then the need to bring that into the social work lexicon was really important
0: well let's now you know drill down a bit further on this to come to the sort of first substantive question um on eco social work practice but you know also mm-hmm. i know that you, you as you've just already indicated you're going to touch significantly at various points on the differential gendered experience context of that Um, but what for you the question being what for you is the meaning significance or relevance of an eco-social work approach you know linked to differential gendered experience or or what however you want to frame that what is the relevance of such an approach to mainstream social work practice in 2022
1: well it's interesting that we're having this conversation at this particular time when we're been subjected to un, um, unprecedented flooding in New South Wales and that's on the back of incredible fires on in the previous summer. So I think any social workers listening to this would be thinking, yes, well, social work is deeply engaged in these um, issues. So linking social work to climate change is not very difficult anymore. But in my view, um, the significance of an eco-social work uh, response or approach is, is that we have to be very conscious of those links between the social and the environment. Um, and so environmental degradation and, and the impacts of climate change are going to have incredible impacts on um, the people that we work with and the people in these areas and the need for us uh, to understand that the impacts of climate change are not, um, are not the same for everybody. They're, they're much more intense for those living in poverty. For example, we know um, that women are particularly vulnerable. Children are particularly vulnerable. Those in rural areas are particularly vulnerable. Um, families are particularly vulnerable. And, uh, and then you know older women are particularly vulnerable people living with disabilities are very vulnerable. So there's a whole lot of factors wrapped around um, how social work needs to understand, and social work practice needs to incorporate this understanding um, of the impacts of disasters so that we're ready to support people. Um, In research that we've been doing on on, um, how social workers responded to uh, COVID, for example, which obviously is not a climate change element, but it gives us a really good example of a major disaster. Uh, and the big issues that came out of that, and I think we're seeing that also in the floods, is things like homelessness increasing and um, financial stress increasing and health and mental health issues uh, becoming very, um, very, you know, escalating. And um, and the other thing is violence amongst violence against women and family violence uh, rising. We're finding that in um, all of the disasters that we've been looking at, is this increase in violence. So we have to understand not only that climate change is relevant to us, but the factors that that result from a climate disaster. How we need to respond to those. Um, What are the major factors? How are we going to readdress and reshape social work in in response to these events? And how are we going to ensure that we're not sidelined in that process, that they're part of decision-making bodies that are addressing these big, big issues? So they're just (laughs) some of my top of the mind thoughts. Um, Just a couple of additional points. you know, we're starting to see new um new types of issues like eco-anxiety amongst people, which is that anxiety that people have about another disaster in the same way that they've experienced might come. And I'm sure the people of small could understand exactly what I mean by eco-anxiety. And the other one um, that we may need to come to terms with is solestasia, which is that real um, emotional, mental response to seeing our much loved environment changed irreparably. Um, Asia was a, a term coined during the drought to explain the mental health impacts of the drought and people seeing their environment change and erode. But it's it's a it's a factor that we see in all disasters, and if you can just think about the the current floods, will you understand what we mean by that? Seeing your familiar environment changed irreparably. So there's a number of factors for social workers to get their heads around
0: thanks very much for that Margaret I, I, again just picking out a few points there you know bringing it always back in in, in terms of uh, my interest within this um, series to eco social work principles if you like but uh, you've just the last point there you just pointed to this idea of the wicked problems the interleaved interconnected uh, problems that come out of for instance that last comment uh, commentary about the psychological impacts of um you know, extreme weather events um, like the uh, the floods, the recent East Coast floods, um, the social determinants of health, you know, the impacts of these factors like uh, solastalgia, eco-anxiety onto the mental health and therefore to some extent the physical health of um, people impacted by, by these issues. Very interesting to hear that reference to, um, I think it was originally possibly uh, Professor Glenn Albrecht's work on That's solastalgia. Exactly. But that whole, exactly. you know, that, that term of psychoterratic illness um, and a neologism, you know, but certainly making that connection, like at the psychological level of the social determinants of health. I mean, uh, yeah, so this is another reason. Well, I suppose it goes to that sort of equation of between social justice and environmental justice, uh, that, those direct connections. You have to be concerned with the environmental side of stuff if you're going to be concerned with the social well-being ultimately of clients. Um, And also that reference you made to COVID-19, which again, you know, is uh, considered ultimately as a physical environmental stressor because, you know, the the views are that uh, this, this pandemic, the viral spread, and it's not just that virus, but these things are made more likely by disruption uh, and damage to uh, natural areas such as, you know, forests and um, other sort of natural areas in in various parts of the world that makes it more likely that human populations will come into contact with um, vectors that are carrying these uh, viruses, whereas before um, there wouldn't have been so much contact. So again, just making that point here is a physical environmental, originating as a physical environmental stressor that's having a whole range of both uh you know health, physical and mental health impacts in, in the population look you already mm-hmm. s- uh, started setting up there the, the you know before the, the commentary about the gendered links to environmental impacts so let's now uh, drill down a bit further there and um ask you to just uh, you know dip, dip further into your very uh, extensive research teaching and um, uh, placement experience to talk a bit more about this r- uh, issue of gendered um sensitivity within social work of intervention so the question might be how might a more evolved gendered sensitivity within social work interventions help tackle some of the key international sustainability challenges for example global heating and climate disruption linked gendered violence growing socioeconomic inequality or other environment and social justice linked challenges
1: um okay so incorporating gender is, in my view, it's actually really basic. It's like level one, um, you know, let's get down and understand this. Uh, I'll just give you an example. So um, I could give you so many examples. But when I went to Bangladesh, we did a three-year study in Bangladesh. We took ourselves to what I would have thought would be amongst the most vulnerable areas in the world to climate change and that was the bay of bengal Um, we did we we looked at three different sites across bangladesh Um, each uh, each had experienced a different climate change impact Uh, the major focus of our study was to look at gender to look at genders or implications of You know, what happens uh, in a country that is hugely vulnerable, that is also um, not a wealthy country. And so we were able to observe a number of things. um, And I won't go into everything, obviously, but issues like um, because of the disaster that need to out migrate. So family members, usually the husband, out migrating and women who, who then needed to, to look after their agricultural plots um, to work in some way. And this is a, a society where women hadn't necessarily been working or outside the home. Um, so having to then move into the workforce, into agricultural production, uh, and, you know, reliant on the income coming from the outmigrator so what we were seeing is very challenging circumstances where people were adapting in various ways um, and the impacts of those disasters on the families and the need for women to be super engaged and change um, how they operated and uh, you know there was often the need for them to take on extra care and um, because their waterways had been corrupted by the disaster, then they were needing to walk further to collect water. There were so many things that um, rebounded into the household and for women. So, I mean, that that to me was um, a very instructive analysis of, of uh, the gendered impacts in, in those societies that we were looking at. Um, violence was an issue. Uh, Poverty was an issue, um, the need for um, health services had been corrupted and access to those by lack of disaster, the need for transport systems when, you know, roads and bridges had been destroyed. So, um, yeah, what I was seeing was very much the sorts of things I'd seen in Australia as well, but on a different scale. So. In Australia, for example, during drought, you might have seen out-migration, yes, um, but it was often of the women in Australia, so women going off farm to work, even having to leave their community at times to get jobs in regional centres. So out-migration was a big thing. It was very gendered depending on the circumstances Um, and then across a number of countries where we did observe that violence was an issue. Um, and yeah, so uh so that's one element of the gendered impacts and why we you know we could see things going on there. More recent research we've done in relation to um the bushfires, 2019-20 fires, for example. Uh, you know, we we've been looking at gendered impacts there as well on how farm family members have responded and one of the um really interesting things that's come out of that research is the differential ways that men and women have responded and often we find that it's women who are moving into community organizing and trying to get activities happening getting um getting community together to try and um keep spirits high. I suspect the same thing is happening in this mall, um, where this need for community organising is often done by women in those circumstances. Men, on the other hand, feel um, uh, certainly the farm men that we've been talking to, keeping their troubles private is is something that we've come across. So lots of reasons, I think. For us to have an understanding of those gendered experiences. Oh, the other, just one last thing I'll, I'll mention is um, in the heat waves that went across France in 2003, one of the findings uh, of that particular research that was done in, after those, that terrible um, disaster, what they found was the most vulnerable people people who died in really large numbers was older women living alone who couldn't afford air conditioning. So again, um, this issue of gender keeps, uh, keeps rearing its head in very interesting ways so that we're able to see the gendered complexity if we look at various disasters. And for that reason alone, We need to be very conscious of gender in our work, in communities, Um, in post-disaster, in climate change uh, actions. We have to be very, very conscious of gender because gender is very visible when you actually open your eyes to it.
0: Fascinating stuff. Very interesting to hear examples there, you know, both from an Australian and international context of the research you've done and your colleagues have done, you know, on the cascading effects by the sounds of it, you know, this is what I've taken from your comments, cascading effects of physical environmental impacts and the way those effects are differentially distributed according to either the roles or the lifestyles of, say, of women and men. Um, The difference, uh, the differences that that makes to their actual experience of those impacts. Look, I want to um, now move on uh, as we go through this very, very interesting uh, interview. Um, I I try to introduce a bit of what I term a critical dialogue into this series, basically to help reinforce uh, a belief in the absolute importance of, you know, working on innovative eco-social work approaches, uh, however that is actually uh, framed, to tackling the increasingly serious interconnected environmental social and economic wicked problems we've already sort of uh, referred to those um we're now facing as a globalized culture therefore i ask each of my guests a variant of what you might term the so what question in your case uh, this becomes margaret why should the mainstream social work profession concern itself with differential gendered experience and by extension why should the mainstream here in Australia be concerned with tackling the sort of linked environmental and social justice frame problems we have been talking about so far?
1: Um, Yeah, very interesting question and questions and um, they'll take a very complex answer, I think. Um, But I think if we're to understand the consequences of climate change and disasters on communities, then we really must understand the nuances of gender equality, adaptations, you know, how we can support communities in preparing for disasters, and areas of mitigation. Um, it's going to become a much more stronger part of social work practice I think. Um, and, and so my I guess my response, my short answer to your question is that social Work, it, it must position itself at the forefront of knowledge and activism around climate change and environmental disasters. It, it's really critical because we can bring that social justice perspective and an environmental, link to an environmental justice perspective to the global community, um, as well as to national actions and to local actions. And I think, you know, if we don't understand yet that climate change is a major threat to the human population, it's really important that we start thinking that way. And we really must consciously adopt environmental justice and social justice um, in our practice because that's, you know, we're just, we're just simply going to have to support. Um, or understand initially in our own environment and in our own community and then, you know, in the sort of disasters that are going to hit us as a country and in global discussions about climate change political responses to climate change. uh, We really have to be active and informed um, interrogators in that space, but we also have to bring our knowledge into our practice so that we can be really informed in in how we approach um you know disasters post disasters climate change bearing down on us um it's critical i think that that we do that so i mean for me it's been a really long journey from uh, drought family farming to a global understanding of climate change and disasters and um I think we all have to make that journey and understand. We, we under, have to understand the, the politics of, of the global response to this and really come to terms with that in um, not only the global, but the
0: local. Thank you, uh, Margaret, for giving such a strong, comprehensive and nuanced answer to that, you know, perhaps obvious, but nonetheless relevant question. I think it needs to be asked and answered frequently, as perhaps you imply. <laughs> Look, now, as we move towards the end of this interview, I want to shift the focus towards the future. Nobody has Mm -hmm. a crystal ball uh, or these days, perhaps we should say nobody has the right algorithm to achieve exact predictions, at least not yet. Um, Nonetheless, I ask each of my guests to dream creatively a little bit and offer some ideas on what the future could or should hold in their view for mainstream practice in light of their particular social work approaches and interests. So, in in your uh, for you, the question might be, what could or should the short to mid term future, say the next two to ten years, hold for mainstream social work approaches which incorporate greater levels of differential gendered experience sensitivity as a practice frame, either either in Australia, internationally, or both?
1: Okay, well, that's that's a very complex question, but let me answer it this way. I think. Um, in 10 years' time, we really need to have disaster social work um, as a as a as an important part of social work training. Um, I think, you know, a few universities have it as an elective, but I think we need to have disaster social work front and centre because that's Something that we really need to incorporate into everybody's practice. How do you respond? How do you support communities? How do you look after yourself in a dangerous situation? That sort of thing. Um, But then the other end of the scale is in that global environment where we need to be sure that um, social work is well represented in global exchanges and global development of knowledge in this area. Um, I think. Um, that the, for example, the, the COP meetings, the community of party meetings, very much still dominated by economics. And uh, economics is important. We also need to have a much more informed dialogue at that level. Um, and, you know, social work to be represented in all of those international forums because, um, you know, we're, we're going to be frontline workers. The, the other thing that I think is, is important to me is that we, social work needs to have a much higher profile in this area. We need to be on uh, committees, on you know, uh, response units that are responding to disasters. And I think we, will, we need to build on that from, you know, from incorporating into universities as a subject but then building on that so that we have social workers working across areas of disaster, um, potentially places like Resilience New South Wales. And so from that local to the um, national and then international, it's really important that social work steps up into that um, because we, we really need to be amongst the decision makers. We really need to be represented around the table around these issues Um, because you know my own journey of stumbling into um, social impacts from a very low base and then becoming fixated on this for my entire career is indicative i think of where social workers currently find themselves um, surrounded by often quite extreme disasters and stumbling forward and and going, you know, how do we respond to this? So we need to have a platform. We need to to build that. We need to build our profile and we need to have an international response um, that is globally relevant. We need to be on the COP um, Australian delegations. We need to be in there and we need to be responding. And I think um, in all of that, we need to have this subtle understanding of gender and the differential impacts on people um, across countries, etc. So that's a fairly long-winded answer, and I hope, I hope that you drew something from that, Andrew.
0: Well, well, Margaret, it wasn't long-winded, it was excellent, but you could argue the question was far too long-winded in the first place, but <laughs> um, anyway, um, but look, just taking a few things from that, um, I, I just note, you know, one thing is, this is not a particular professional observation, but, and it's been this has been echoed by other speakers in this series, the profession as a whole, that is social work, needs to get in there, uh, get active, uh, get real, however you want to phrase it. But that is now in the context of the recognition, you know, just thinking of some of the the IPCC, most recent IPCC report, which is echoing other voices from around the world. All of the professions, all of the sectors of society have a role to play. Um, In our field, allied professions such as public health, psychology, are getting into the mix. And so does the the social work profession as a whole needs to get in there, active and into the mix. And, um, you think again of the at an international level the the IFSW's theme for this year's um, World Social Work Day events and the conference coming up at uh, in the end of at the end of June co-building a new eco-social world leaving nobody behind I mean there in the title is the implication that we all need to be getting on with it but of course there is the challenge isn't it I mean it's one thing to know what we need to do which seems to again to be a very common theme today we know what we need to do to start co-building that world but it's the challenge is overcoming the constraints the the blockages the the mindsets whatever you might say the political um, um, sort of lethargy however we want to frame it but thank you very much for that and look, that basically, as we as we come really to the end of this very rich interview, I mean, we've covered a wide span of topics, and they've all been linked to the the, the value of eco-social work practice and the value of a um, a differential gendered lens within that eco-social work turn. But on that sort of basis, that you know, people remember the beginning and ends of presentations. Um, <laughs> I ask each guest to try and do the impossible, which is to sum up um you know in in a in a few sentences perhaps or, or give some insights um to summarize their messages throughout the actual interview so to take away you know for the benefit of uh, listeners as they go off away from the podcast do you have a short take home message or one key idea from your conversation today that to some extent it encapsulates your overall stance uh
1: that's a really difficult thing to do but let me try and encapsulate it this way so I think we're all in some ways touched by a disaster, whether it's simply reading about the floods in Lismore and feeling absolutely challenged by those, or whether it's a little bit more personal like it was for me in farming and seeing, you know, the gendered aspects of that and the lack of understanding of those within, um, you know, within the context of drought and so forth. Uh, we all have some sort of a way where we're brushing up against these big, 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 wicked problems that we're experiencing now. Um, we have to bring that understanding or that that awakening that we have into our practice, and we have to we have to understand how we can do that Now there'll be a lot of people out there going, well, where do I start?" And I guess you know I think you mentioned something earlier in the interview. The IPCC report, the latest IPCC report is a good way to understand the, the more global understanding of this issue. But perhaps um, in the more immediate community sphere, you can be looking at ways that you can assist your community to prepare for disasters and to be much more Um, or much less vulnerable, as it were, in in various ways. So I think social work practice is going to have to incorporate those sorts of strategies in the future, community work where we're addressing um, and preparing, undertaking disaster preparedness. We're aware of people in our communities who may be vulnerable in particular situations. you know, having even developing vulnerability registers where people can register themselves if they're feeling um, that they may need help in a disaster. So there's various strategies out there that in our own sphere we can start to build on. Uh, And then I think becoming critical, informed um, readers and, uh, you know, building on our knowledge of how this is going to play out. It's interesting that the International Federation is focusing so critically on this. So that is a a really good lead for us to know that we have to get in there and understand it in our own context and build build on our, our knowledge of this, but also assist the profession to become much higher profile in this space. So there are just a few things I would say and and then I guess closing I'd say in all of this be very conscious of gender but you know and other intersectional values that might shape pe- people's experiences of disasters.
0: Nice summary there, um, Professor Alston. Just you know some practical steps that individual workers and in the wider profession can start to take, particularly around natural disaster response, increase the value of increasing our knowledge base on eco-social work practice and and including differential gendered uh, lens within that and just generally that approach to taking a more joined up role a more joined up active and engagement role within the profession more generally in relation to some of the stuff we've been talking about today look it now just remains for me to close the interview um It's more than obvious to say, given your eminent experience, that it's been a privilege to talk with you today. I'm sure you've given our audience some stimulating ideas which can help inform their own thinking, help them start conversations on this subject of differential gendered experience, of environmental impacts and, you know, the wider eco-social work principles to which they link in their own social work practice, with their friends, with their colleagues, within their employing organisations or in their professional associations. In the interim, it just remains for me, on behalf of Householders' Options to Protect the Environment, to thank you so much for your comments today. Thank you. You've been listening to a podcast episode in the series Eco-Social Work in Australia, produced for Householders' Options to Protect the Environment. Please consult the episode text notes for possible references to topics discussed and relevant contact details should you wish to respond to anything you've heard. My name is Andrew Nicholson, producer of the series, and thank you for listening.